0: The title of the message this morning is the book of 1 Peter. This is part six that we are dealing with. I've been enjoying getting into the word of the Lord, and I have a sense as I chat to you in the congregation that you've enjoyed this journey and felt like it has been meat that we've been getting into. So let's continue with The bold teachings, I would call them bold teachings and truth filled teachings that Peter was sharing with the believers across Asia Minor. This is the same Peter that walked on the water, the same Peter who was Jesus' disciple, the same Peter who preached boldly on the day of Pentecost. And here, many years later, he's faithfully serving the Lord. He's a leader in the church, and he's helping churches to be able to thrive. He's helping believers to be able to thrive. Please turn so along to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, at this point, at verse 13, the theme of persecution now becomes more prominent. So far, in our study of 1 Peter, it's been a little bit more in the background. But now persecution comes more to the fore. It becomes prominent and Peter is teaching us as New Testament believers how to live in the face of persecution. Now you might say, well, I've never faced persecution and well, if you haven't, that's that's great. The other day I asked in the congregation, I said, how many of you have faced persecution for your faith? And I was surprised that probably at least 40% of the hands went up that there has been some form of persecution. Let's get straight into our Bible reading for today. And we're looking at 1 Peter 3, verse 13 to 22, reading from the New King James Version. Let's read for understanding, not just to rush through it. It says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats nor troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. But once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. And I say hallelujah for God's word. Praise the Lord for His word. Amen. 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 Now, please keep your Bible open during our time of sharing. And some of these sentences and sentence structures, not the easiest to understand. And I'm trusting that the Lord will just help me to make things clear. It's one of the things that I love to try to do by the grace of God, Lord. Help me to make things clear. And so there are four points that I'd like to share with you today. Point number one is a bit of a longer one. Here goes. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, You are still blessed as a child of God, so don't fear opposition. I'm sure you'd agree that's an interesting point. Sounds like a bit of a mouthful there. But let me read it again. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're still blessed as a child of God, so don't fear opposition. Now let's look at the verse 13 and 14 that confirms this, just to refresh, and also verse 17. I'm reading from the NIV. Look at verse 13. It says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, the answer implied is no one. If you're eager to do good, generally nobody harms you. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. Jump on to verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good uh, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is quite interesting this passage. And I'd like to kind of interpret it as follows. You see generally speaking if a person does what is good and right They will not suffer mistreatment, maltreatment, or punishment. Isn't that a fair comment? Generally speaking, you stick to the law, and you don't break the laws, and so on. Generally speaking, you will not suffer punishment. You will not suffer mistreatment. But Christians may well experience mistreatment and even abuse for doing what is right. That's what we learn in this passage. Why is this? It's because the enemy of our souls hates righteousness. And when he looks at you, a righteous child of God, all he wants to do is try and mess up your life. Don't give him a foothold. He's trying to destroy righteous children of God. And he's trying to hurt them and harm them and so on. And sometimes we will face Persecution, but we've done nothing wrong. We've been doing only what is right. Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when you face persecution, when you face ridicule for your faith or people speaking against you for your faith, don't be discouraged. There is a bigger picture. You are inheritors of the kingdom of heaven and God is victorious for you and ultimately God's glory will be revealed no matter what suffering you may experience. God's got this. God's got this, child of God. And even though it is extremely hard to suffer for doing good, we can know for sure that we will be rewarded for our righteousness. Praise God and he is keeping an account and he is the great rewarder. Now, it's clear from the Bible as I read the Bible that listen to this, persecution will increase in the last days. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? When we read more towards what refers to uh, the passages of Scripture from the end times, this is clear. Persecution will increase in the last days, but know this. They can only harm your body. They can never harm your eternal soul. Come on. I wanna say that again. They can only harm your body. They can never harm your eternal soul. They can never harm you spiritually. They can never change God's promises concerning your future. Amen. And that's why we have to look at things from an eternal perspective. I heard a story about a young man, it was in World War II. He was a young Christian man. He refused to join a certain movement. This was in Europe. And he felt that he couldn't join this music uh, this music movement. This was due to his religious convictions. He felt it would be wrong. He cannot do that. And they said to him, this group of people who were quite violent and so on, they said, don't you know that we have the power to kill you? And he thought about it for a moment. And he said, don't you know that I have the power to die for Christ? Wow. I have the power to die for Christ. In a sense, he was saying, then I will use my ultimate weapon, which is such a powerful weapon. Wow. So he was actually convinced that no one could harm him. And that reminds me of, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Psalm 23. Another example I'd like to share is from Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the early church fathers. He lived in like, I don't know, about 120 AD. He was a faithful man of God, a faithful teacher of the word, a faithful father to churches and so on. But the Roman governor in his region, he commanded Polycarp to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. He instructed him, he commanded him. He said, you will renounce your faith or else you will be burned alive. One of the things that Polycarp said, he said, I've been serving God for 86 years now. He has been nothing but good to me. How could I ever blaspheme him? But it went on. The increases and the threats increased. And he said, listen, you need to realize we are not playing games. We will burn you alive. And Polycarp, Then said to the governor, he said this, I fear not the fire that burns for a moment, but you know nothing of the fire of eternal judgment that burns forever and ever, so bring on whatever you want. Wow. Speaking under conviction. Sadly, he was burned at the stake. The story is told that his body just didn't burn, although he was at the stake, and eventually they had to send somebody in with a dagger and stab him. But it just showed the power of God present and how powerfully that must have spoken to all those peoples, people around there. But what about Polycop? He knew that they can only harm the body. They can never harm the eternal soul. Can we thank God for that, amen? We need to have a perspective which is a godly one. Verse 14 in your text says, Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. What was Peter saying here? He was basically instructing us to not be afraid of persecution. And when you think of persecution that is likely to come in the end times, I want to say in your heart, do not be afraid because God is with you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, and so we shouldn't be afraid of persecution because we have a God who is much bigger and far greater. The greater I am, bigger than any plan of the enemy hallelujah! Our God is greater. So it is likely that we will suffer for doing good, but even so, we're blessed and we shouldn't fear opposition. That's point number one. On to point number two. In your heart, acknowledge God as Lord and give Him first place. Would you say that with me? In your heart, acknowledge God as Lord and give Him first place. This is actually very powerful. Now, in verse 15 in the New King James, it says there, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does that mean? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The NIV puts it quite effectively. It says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. I like that word revere. Anybody else like revere? Revere Christ as Lord. And also in the Amplified, it says, but in your hearts, set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him. Giving Him first place in your lives as Lord. I like that. So as I understand it, to revere Christ as Lord means that we firstly honor Him, but also that we give Him first place in our lives. Are you listening? We don't give Him second place. We don't give Him third place. We don't give Him last place. We give Him first place. You've got to hear this. And this is something that has been stirring in my heart like, like never before, this aspect of giving God first place. Because as I have watched, I've been in ministry for a couple of years now, and as I've, I've watched Christians and I've watched believers, and I see the people that put God first, and I see the heaven and earth difference it makes in their lives. People that will put God first, they will experience incredible, amazing things in their lives. But people who refuse to put God first, there's always something wrong. It doesn't come together. Put God first. Put God first. Would you please tell the person next to you, put God first in your life. Tell them that. Put God first. And then everything else will fall into place. The Bible says, seek first. Seek what? Seek first. Seek what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6 verse 33. And each of us needs to consider this. And this is the thing we need to consider. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? I've discovered that many people, they see God as savior of their life. That's wonderful. But you need to go on and you need to give him the lordship of your life. So don't only see God as your savior, praise God for that, but is he the Lord, truly the Lord of your life? Or has something else taken the throne of your heart? Maybe money has taken mammon, has gone onto the throne of your heart. Maybe yourself, you're on that throne. Maybe intellectualism is on the throne of your heart. Maybe career, God used to be first, but something's happened and you have gotta change that around. You need to put him back on the throne of your heart. And if we're not careful, we can end up giving our affection to all sorts of wrong things, giving the place in our heart to all sorts of wrong things. And then you know what we do? We're actually asking the Lord of glory, no! Let Him have the first place. Revere Christ in your heart. Now, often as pastors, we counsel with people. Quite, uh, one of the things that we counsel a lot is marriage problems, But many times, it's not a marriage problem, it's a lordship problem. And I say that because it can be easily solved if the lordship of Jesus Christ can be solved. We need to realize that it is not about what I want in my marriage. Hear me now. If you're struggling in your marriage especially, it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants for our marriage. Many marriages, even if the problem is very severe, if they will humble their hearts and say, okay, it's not about my own desires, because by the way, the Bible says, where do wars and all the striving and fighting come from? They come from your own desires. And if you will put your own desires lower and put the desires of Christ above, you revered Him in your heart, and you watch what God will do in your marriage. Let there be the Lordship, of Jesus in your marriage, and you watch how God will work. Augustine, another great spiritual father, said the following, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. That's a powerful statement. And as I see it, we need to come back to seeing God as the sovereign one. We need to come back to seeing Him as the one with the ultimate authority. Listen to this statement. We fear God so little because we fear man so much. Many times when we're not putting the Lord on the throne of our hearts, it's because we're too scared of of man. We're too scared of people. (laughs) Let us rather revere God in our hearts. Let there be less man fearing and let there be more God fearing. Can I get an amen? Let there be more God fearing because he is the ultimate authority. Now, a scripture that I'd like to just share with you, you don't have to turn there, it's Isaiah 8, verse 13. This is an interesting one, and Peter, as he's preaching in our passage of scripture, he's actually referencing Isaiah 8, verse 13. You're gonna have to put your seatbelts on for this scripture. It says the following. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. I like that. Let him be your fear, and then it says, and let him be your dread. Now, we need to understand that correctly, and Peter was referring to the Scripture. When it speaks of dread, it essentially means that God should be the only one that we will tremble before. He says, the only throne I will get down on my knees before, I will tremble before God. When there is a a holy dread for God, it means, God, I tremble before you, because you are the great I am. You stretched out the heavens, Lord. And so I tremble before you in a beautiful way. I think of uh, Lauren Daigle's song. How many of you enjoy Lauren Daigle as an artist? I think she's great. So she's got the song called Tremble. Have any of you heard the song Tremble? And uh, some of the words go like this. It says, I will tremble at no other name. Do you see the lordship there? It goes on to say, Lord, I tremble. I tremble. In your presence, I tremble. In your presence. It's interesting that in New Testament times, in the times of the writing of the scripture passage that we're reading, the Roman citizens, they used to use a greeting and it would be this. Caesar is Lord. It was very popular. They would walk around and you bump into the next one. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And this is what they would do. But now, believers had gotten saved and they had come to the lordship of Jesus, so they couldn't go along with that anymore, so they began to say, Jesus is Lord. And in that context... Declaring that they were even risking their lives, but their loyalty was to Jesus, they revered Him as Lord. Praise the Lord. And you know what, folks? Sometimes I wonder, why do we pull away from the authority of God? Why do we pursue our own ways when God's way is better? Why do we draw away? Why do we pursue our own kinds of things and submit to all kinds of crazy things? I think let's just keep it simple. Let's just keep Jesus Christ on the throne of our hearts. Come on, and in 2022, be a person that keeps Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. It's a settled matter. Jesus is first, he is my Lord. And I believe that there is truly a throne in every person's heart. The question is, who is sitting on that throne? Point number three, which is a simple point Jesus suffered for our sins so that he could bring us to God. Would you say this with me? Jesus suffered for our sins so that he could bring us to God. It's actually very beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 18 and verse 19. I hope your Bible's still open. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. The just for the unjust. Then look at this phrase, that he might bring us to God. I've underlined that. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase, he went and preached to the spirits in prison? I don't have time to go into a lot of detail on this, but just briefly, as I understand it. Between Jesus' death and his resurrection, in spirit form, he descended into the lower regions, and the Bible says he preached to those, and then he led captivity captive. The Bible says if he descended, then he also ascended. And I think to myself, wow, there are fascinating things in Scripture, but When I think of the fact that Jesus suffered for our sins, I wanna ask you this question. Are you still grateful that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins? Are you still grateful? Oh man, we gotta be. We can never lose sight of the cross. We can never lose sight of the gift of eternal life, and we must never stop praising God for the gift of salvation. And then verse 18 says that he might bring us to God. Those four words, bring us to God. Say that with me, bring us to God. Can I tell you, God is actively working on this very thing. This is still his plan. He is actively reconciling the world to himself. He hasn't stopped. There's so many more that need to find salvation in Jesus Christ. There's gonna be an incredible end time harvest and we're gonna see more and more people and this is still God's plan that he could bring us to God, that Jesus could bring us to the Father. And I wanna mention this. What's happening in a few weeks time? Good Friday, Passover, Easter weekend is happening in a few weeks' time. And I want to challenge you would you consider bringing an unsaved friend to church or a family member to church on Good Friday? I've discovered that when you invite people either for Good Friday or Christmas service, unsaved people, people who aren't in church, they seldom ever say no. Do you know that? And so I want to encourage you that you purpose in your heart that you will invite an unsaved person to church. I assure you there will be a prayer of salvation. And just imagine if they come to Christ. Just imagine. You will be partnering with God. And what does God say What does Peter say here about God? That he might bring us to God. But you know what? In order to bring us to God, sometimes it takes you and me to bring somebody to church (laughs) or to bring somebody into a prayer where you lead them into a prayer of salvation. So that's my challenge to you. Now we're moving on to point number four. Noah's flood was a prophetic picture of baptism. Isn't that interesting? Think about that for a moment. It was a prophetic picture of baptism. Now, please say this out aloud with me. Noah's flood was a prophetic picture of baptism. I'd like to read verse 21 where this speaks about it. I'm reading from the contemporary English version, it puts it very clearly there. It says, Those flood waters, speaking of the flood waters of Noah. We're like baptism that now saves you. But baptism is more than just washing your body. It means turning from God with a clear conscience because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And we say hallelujah. Now, to put it in simple terms, just as Noah was saved through the waters of the flood, So you and I are saved through the waters of baptism. And I just want to give one clarification here. It's not that baptism is the agent for salvation, but it symbolizes the process of salvation. Listen to the statement. Baptism is a public demonstration of that which actually saves, which is our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there's actually a bit of another picture here as well. In the same way that Noah and his family had to go into the ark to be saved, you and I have to go into a relationship with Jesus Christ to experience salvation. There's also a little bit of a symbolism between the ark of, uh, the, the wood of the ark and the wood of the cross. But I have to tell you that you have to enter into Christ. To be saved, you have to enter in and you have to have the cross being your experience where you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become crucified with Christ. Therefore, no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. So hide yourself in Christ. He is the way unto salvation. Now let me also just say this, that when we commit our lives to Christ, it should be followed with believer's baptism. Now, somebody says the following, well, can I get to heaven if I've given my life to God, but I haven't yet been baptized? And I believe that the answer is yes, because what if you pray a prayer of salvation on on your sick bed and two hours later you die, you didn't have time to get baptized? What about that man on the cross next to Jesus? And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Obviously, there was no time to be baptized. And so I believe the answer is yes. But I also believe that you're asking the wrong question. You're asking, how little can I do? You should be saying, God, what do you want me to do? I will do whatever it takes. I will obey. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And if you say baptism and Jesus, you yourself were baptized By John the Baptist, I am going through the waters of baptism. Hallelujah. And so I want to challenge people, yeah, today. Listen, we have a baptism service starting in 30 minutes in the hall next door. You may have woken up this morning and the very last thing that was on your mind was getting baptized. But I want to tell you, maybe God is speaking to you right now. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch and he was reading the scriptures there on his chariot and so on. And and next thing, as he's reading, he was battling to understand and eventually he began to understand and God was working in the situation. I'm not gonna go into detail. But then he read about baptism and he said, well, what prevents me from being baptized? There's water, I can be baptized. And immediately he went down into the water and he was baptized. He was asking me, he was asking the right question. He was was not saying, can I still get to heaven without getting baptized? He was saying, what stops me from being baptized right now? And so I want to say, God's people will be willing in the day of his power. So, Pastor Andre Fenter is going to be baptizing. Pastor Andre, wave a hand, all right? So he's going to be doing a lot of baptism. Come on, give him a hand. Give him a hand of support, all right? You can be baptized straight after the service. You might even be listening to me online now and you stay within 20 minutes from the church, get in your car, come here, bring a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and go through the waters of baptism. Come on, am I talking to anybody here today? As I'm closing off, I wanna say, baptism is a glorious sign of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, and through it, through baptism, we become identified with the work and the way of the cross. And when I think about everything that God teaches us in his word, I am overwhelmed. And I think, God, you have the greatest plan of all. You are executing your plan, and ultimately we win. Now go ahead and give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, you can do better than that, child of God. We win, we're on the winning side. Hallelujah, would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. Have you received the message today? Wonderful. Now, Father, we thank you for this time together. Our hearts are overflowing. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I believe that in everyone's heart here today, there is a desire that we will sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, meaning... We will revere you as Lord. Lord, if we have not given you first place, we repent of that. Forgive us. Now we give the throne of our heart to you, King Jesus. We revere you in our hearts and we say, we give you first place. Be seated on the throne of our hearts. And Lord, we also just say that we love you. Why don't you just say, I love you, Jesus. Lord, we say that we love you. There is no one like you in all of the heavens and the earth. We worship you. We worship you. May I just invite you, just lift up your hands to the Lord for a moment and just begin to let words of blessing come out of your mouth. Say, Lord, I bless you. We worship, adore, we love, we honor We give you first place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let the name of the Lord be glorified in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our nation. Move by your Spirit in our nation at this time. Lord God, our nation needs revival by your Spirit. Come and work and do what no man can do, but it's only by your Spirit that it can be done, Lord. I pray that we as your people would live in tune with you, that we would live connected to you spiritually. I pray that we as the pastoral team, that we would pastor supernaturally. I pray more of the manifest presence of God to be evident in our midst. I pray for more cancers to be destroyed in our midst. I pray for more financial breakthrough in our midst in Jesus' name. I pray for more promotions for the people of God. I pray against unemployment, And I pray that every single person would be employed that is part of this body, would be provided for. Lord, I just sense a warfare rising in my heart. And I just believe and declare that greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. Let Your name be glorified. Let Your kingdom be expanded. Let Your kingdom be expanded. In Jesus' name now, shout hallelujah. Amen, amen, hallelujah. God bless you.